Jason Taylor. He was playing high school football a year ago. Taylor with a touchdown and the clinching two-point conversion and a field rush for the ages. Welcome to the Chatting Yardage Podcast, presented by Sports Drink. Now, here's your host, Cam Matthews. Welcome to your friendly neighborhood college football podcast. Welcome to Chatting Yardage. Part of the Chatting Average family of podcasts and brought to you by Sports Drink. The big news in college football this week is that I, Alex Butler, have been promoted from mascot correspondent to interim host. That's right, your usual host, Cam Matthews, is on a business trip this week, so I'm filling in to bring you all of the Week 10 college football news from around the country. We're going to start the show as we always do by taking a look at our pick six from last week. Six games that we found interesting and think you should too. First up is going to be number 23, Oregon State, visiting Washington. The real star of this game was the Washington defense, led by Cam Bright, who notched 10 tackles, including the game's only sack, in an effort that saw Washington hold Oregon State to just 4 of 12 on 3rd and 4th down for the day. Washington defeats the number 23-ranked Beavers 24-21. Up next, number 4, Clemson, visits Notre Dame University, looking to stay in the driver's seat in the ACC and the college football playoff rankings. This was a game that saw the home team Notre Dame come out to an early lead and never let it go. Clemson just couldn't figure it out offensively and and was held scoreless until the fourth quarter. Notre Dame takes this one running away 35-14 and hands Clemson their first loss of the season. Up next is a Big 12 showdown with number 24 Texas Longhorns visiting the number 13 Kansas State Wildcats. Texas came out and scored early and often, led by Tailback Bijan Robinson, who carried the ball 30 times for 209 yards and a score. Uh, Texas was out to a 31-10 lead at halftime, and Kansas State attempted to come back, outscoring the Texas Longhorns 17-3 in the second half, but it wasn't enough as the final score is 34-27 Texas. From there, we're heading to the Research Triangle in North Carolina as number 21 Wake Forest University visits number 22 NC State. The star of the day was Wake Forest wide receiver A.T. Perry, who caught 12 balls for 159 yards and a touchdown. But it wasn't enough as NC State topples the Wake Forest Demon Deacons by a score of 30-21. to 
This win brings NC State to within one game of Clemson in the standings with Clemson's loss. Unfortunately for State, though, Clemson does hold the tiebreaker over them, having defeated them 30-20 to earlier in the season. So NC State will need a good bit of help to have any shot at jumping Clemson to get into the ACC title game. Up next, we're getting into one of our two biggest games of the week. That's right, we had two games that were SEC conference games between top 10 ranked teams. The first one's going to be number six, Alabama, visiting Death Valley and number 10, LSU. The big story of the game was the LSU defense really stepping up at home in a huge game against Alabama. They managed to hurry the quarterback 10 times. Meanwhile, the vaunted Alabama defense only hurried LSU's quarterback once. LSU takes the game into overtime, goes for two, and wins 32-21, defeating Alabama, handing Nick Saban his second loss in three weeks. Not something you typically see out of Saban, so very interesting to see what becomes of Alabama following this loss. Are they going to be able to rebound and make a decent bowl game, or are they going to be... Are they going to be stuck in a lower-level bowl? Are we going to see an Alabama in a Duke's mayonnaise bowl? It'll be interesting to watch. The final game of our pick six from last week is number one Tennessee visiting number two Georgia. It doesn't get any bigger than this one, folks. Tennessee looking great, best offense in the country, visiting Georgia, had a couple of rocky games but still undefeated, and Georgia obviously has one of the best defenses we've ever seen, and Georgia's crowd really showed out. Georgia came out huge. The crowd was the biggest factor in this game, and I, I think that's safe to say as, as they forced Eight false starts on Tennessee. Tennessee just was not able to get into this game. Georgia controlled it from the opening snap. The score doesn't really reflect it, mostly due to a, a garbage time touchdown. Uh, but Georgia was in control of this game from bell to bell. And especially once the rain started in the second half, you could tell Kirby kind of just packed it in and said, all right, I'm going to take this win and leave. Well, Georgia ends up winning 27-13. to in a matchup we're definitely going to be talking about uh, for the rest of the college football season. So some other scores of note from around the country. In the SEC, uh, Kentucky visits Missouri and wins 21-17. Florida defeats Texas A&M in College Station, 41-24. Jimbo Fisher just on a downward spiral with this team. They move to 3-6 on the season, 1-5 in the SEC. Ladies and gentlemen, Liberty University traveled to Arkansas and defeated the Razorbacks 21-19. Mississippi State defeats Auburn by a score of 39-33, and South Carolina takes care of Vanderbilt 38-27. In the ACC, number 20 Syracuse visits Pittsburgh and leaves unhappy as the Panthers win by a score of 19-9. Georgia Tech takes a close one from Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, winning in the last minute, 28-27. James Madison wasn't much of a test for Louisville, as Louisville wins at home, 34-10, and Florida State absolutely decimates Miami, 45-13. A rough first season for Mario Cristobal down in Miami. He moves to 4-5 on the season, 2-3 in the ACC. From the Big Ten, number 
two, Ohio State defeats Northwestern by a score of 21-7. Number five, Michigan takes care of Rutgers 52-17. Penn State beats Indiana 45-14. Illinois loses at home to a... uh, to a questionable Michigan State team, 23-15, to uh, really hurting Illinois' chances of, uh, uh, of making some noise. They were starting to flirt with the top 10 if they could have pulled this one out. Minnesota beats Nebraska 20-13, Iowa beats Purdue 24-3, and Wisconsin beats Maryland 23-10. In the Big 12, the TCU Horned Frogs hold on against the Texas Tech Red Raiders and win by a score of 34-24 at home. Number 18, Oklahoma State drops a game in Lawrence, Kansas. That's right, Kansas Jayhawks beat the Oklahoma State Cowboys 37-16. Baylor defeats Oklahoma 38-35. And Iowa State defeats West Virginia by a score of 31-14. Going out west to the Pac-12, number eight, Oregon, continues their dominance after that horrible Georgia loss to start the season. They defeat Colorado 49-10. Number nine, USC, is visited by Cal and wins 41-35, certainly a lot closer than an than a eight and one USC team would have wanted the game to be against a three and six Cal team. Number 12, UCLA defeats Arizona State 50-36. Number 14, Utah beats Arizona 45-20. And Washington State defeats Stanford by a score of 52-14. And taking a look at this week's AP Top 25, Georgia maintains its number one spot, but holds on to it with a much larger share of the number one votes, taking 62 of the 63 votes The only other team that got a first place vote was number two, Ohio State. Number three, you have Michigan. Number four, TCU, followed by Tennessee, who drops three spots. Oregon, who climbs two. And LSU, who jumps up eight spots following their win against Alabama. USC and UCLA move up to eight and nine, respectively. And Alabama falls four spots to number 10, Ole Miss stays at 11. Clemson drops seven spots from number five to number 12. Utah drops to 13. Penn State and North Carolina move up to 14 and 15. Tulane and NC State move up to 16 and 17. Texas stays at 18. Liberty moves up to number 19 in the country. Notre Dame maintains its 20th spot in the polls. Illinois moves down seven spots to 21. UCF moves up to number 22. Kansas State takes the number 23 spot, barely holding on to a top 25 ranking after moving down 10 spots following their loss. And Washington and Florida State move up to numbers 24 and 25 uh, to round out your top 25 for the week. Dropping out of the rankings this week were Oklahoma State, Wake Forest, Syracuse, and Oregon State. All right, folks, it is now the part of the show where we go into four-down territory. First down. This week's college football playoff rankings show something that I feel like we have never seen in these rankings before. You had Georgia, who moved up to number one, expectedly after taking down Tennessee. Ohio State beat Northwestern, maintained its number two spot. And with its win over Rutgers, Michigan moves up from number five to number three. 
But the big move was TCU. Texas Christian University moves up three spots to number four after defeating Texas Tech. Now, over the years, we have seen many smaller schools who have been looking to to make their way in the college football playoff rankings. Now, while TCU is in the Big 12 and it is in a Power 5 conference, I don't think anybody's looking at TCU as a traditional powerhouse of college football, least of all a school that we expected to be in a position to control their own destiny moving forward in the college football playoff. They're 9-0 right now, and 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 while there was a, a, a period of time there where it seemed like they were going to go the way of a UCF or a Boise State, they're getting their respect. They have moved up. The Horned Frogs look like they'll be in the college football playoff. Now, they do have a big test coming up this week against number 18, Texas. If they can get past that, I don't see anything stopping TCU from uh, from getting into their first college football playoff uh, and giving us a look at a team that we haven't traditionally seen in those kinds of games. So, uh, once again, if the college football playoff started today, you would have number one Georgia uh, visited by number four TCU and number two Oklahoma State visited by number three Michigan. Now, TCU appears on paper to be to be a very offensively complete team. This TCU team averages 9.6 yards per pass attempt and 5.6 yards per rush attempt. That's a formula for winning. They uh th- they have a pretty even split between rushing and passing first downs. Um and their third down efficiency is 44%. So uh, all around, very good offensive team. You have to wonder what it would be like when they get in there against a defense who can play at the caliber of, of a Georgia or a Michigan or an Ohio State. In the Big 12, obviously, you've always had question marks regarding the level of defense they're playing, especially versus conferences like the SEC and the Big 10. So... Personally, I'm hoping for TCU to make the college football playoff because I want to know more about them. I want to know who this team is. I want to know if they're just a team that goes out and puts up big numbers against nobodies or if they're for real and their offense can hang with the big boys. Second down. The SMU versus Houston football game was not something that we planned on talking about in this episode, but the result of that game became something historic. SMU defeated Houston by a score of 77-63. to SMU Mustangs quarterback Tanner Mordecai had nine touchdown passes, including seven in the first half, along with 379 yards in the victory. He also had a rushing touchdown, so he accounted for 10 touchdowns in this game. The 140 combined points set the NCAA FBS single-season scoring record for two teams in regulation. SMU reached school records with 77 points in the game, 11 total touchdowns, 9 passing touchdowns, and 433 total yards in the first half. The two teams went back and forth the whole game. Houston scored a touchdown with 337 left in the fourth quarter and tried to get the ball back to win the game late. 
However, a late interception sealed the fate and gave SMU the win in a record-setting game. Houston's Clayton Thune was 36 for 53 with 527 passing yards and seven touchdown passes, but he also threw three interceptions. He ran for 111 yards on the ground and scored a rushing touchdown as well. So the numbers from this game just pop off the page at you. It was not a lick of defense was played that day, but uh, surely for the fans in attendance, one of the more entertaining football games they'd ever had the opportunity to see. Third down. Like most people, when I drive past a car wreck, I can't help but slow down a little bit and take a look at what's going on. Well, in the world of college football, that car wreck is Texas A&M University this season. Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M are on a five-game losing streak, and after they lost to South Carolina this past week, you really have to wonder what Jimbo Fisher's job security is. He, he came in as, as a man who was supposed to be the savior of the Texas A&M program. He was given one of the most ridiculous contracts in college football history. That contract is currently paying him $8.5 million a year. That's going to go up to nearly $9.5 million a year by 2031. And if Texas A&M were inclined to attempt to buy out the remainder of Jimbo Fisher's contract, they would be looking at owing him upwards of $90 million. Uh, I, I, I know we've seen in sports... Uh, coaches and players essentially get paid to to go away. But when you attach a number like $90 million to what it would cost for Texas A&M to make Jimbo Fisher go away, you have to wonder if that's a realistic possibility or if they're just going to have to deal with it and, and take what they get for the next several years. Um, because I, I as much money as there is in the world of college football... $90 million is is no small amount for, for any program or any set of boosters. And the real question mark is with this team's offense. Uh, according to the magicians at ESPN Stats and Info, Texas A&M's offense has scored less than 25 points in nine straight games versus FBS teams. The only teams with longer active streaks are Colorado and Rutgers. So I, I don't know. I think the only way you move forward with Jimbo Fisher is if he can find a, an offensive coordinator to come in and completely revamp that system because where it's at right now does not look to be headed in the right direction. Fourth down. After a surprising 8-0 start to the college football season, the Tennessee Volunteers were ranked number one in the initial college football playoff rankings. The team had one of the most unexpected rises as it was out of the preseason rankings. But Tennessee football came back down to earth a little bit last weekend. In the SEC battle, the Georgia Bulldogs ended up winning 27-13 and they took back their number one position. Georgia looked like the better team for most of the game and it contributed to the Volunteers' fall in the rankings. They're now number five, and the quest to make the playoffs seems a little bit more difficult. Even though they're out of the top four, there are still ways 
for Tennessee to make the college football playoff as long as they win the rest of the way, their three remaining contests. Georgia would need to lose multiple games, and Tennessee would need to win the SEC. Ohio State would have to beat up on Michigan, and Georgia would have to win the SEC. Or TCU loses, and Georgia wins the SEC. These are all long shots, but for a Tennessee football program that was was really down and out for the better part of two decades, even if they don't make the college football playoff, this has to be looked at as a massive success for the Tennessee program. Josh Heupel uh, is probably not going to buy another drink for the rest of his life in Knoxville just for bringing this team to relevancy. I, I mean, we I honestly cannot remember the last time that, that Tennessee was playing in, in very meaningful football games like they did this past week. So so as many dominant teams as there are in the SEC, it's starting to look like you're going to have to make room for one more. Tennessee is sort of moving into that spot. They've had some fantastic wins, obviously took that one bad loss, but if they win out the rest of the way, a one-loss Tennessee team going into bowl season is a very scary thing. And uh, short of Georgia, I don't think anybody out there wants to see this Tennessee team arguably the best chance they have to to crack into the college football playoff is TCU losing because TCU has a very difficult game coming up against Texas. So if you're a Tennessee fan, keep your eyes peeled for that TCU-Texas game. If Texas comes out on top, all of a sudden we're looking at a Tennessee team that's back in the college football playoff picture and will seemingly control their own destiny to get there. Hey everybody, this is Alex Butler, and I am still here as your mascot correspondent this week with this week's Mascot Minute, where we take a deep dive into some of your favorite collegiate mascots. This week, we're taking a look at Ralphie the Buffalo from the University of Colorado. In 1934, a contest in the silver and gold newspaper determined the school mascot to be the Buffaloes. For the final football game of the 1934 season, a group of students paid $25 to rent a buffalo calf to stand on the sidelines. Along with a real cowboy caretaker, it took four students to keep the calf. The son of Killer, a famed bison at Trails End Ranch in Fort Collins, calm on the sidelines. As far as luck, though, Colorado won 7-0 against the University of Denver on Thanksgiving Day. Prior to 1934, CU athletic teams were referred to as Arapahoes, Bighorns, Frontiersmen, Grizzlies, Hornets, Silver and Gold, Silver Helmets, and Yellow Jackets. The student newspaper decided to sponsor a national contest in the summer of 1934 with a $5 prize to go to the author of the winning selection. Over a thousand entries arrived from almost every state. Athletic director Harry Carlson, graduate manager Walter Franklin, and Kenneth Bundy of the Silver and Gold were the judges. Local articles first reported that Claude Bates of New Madrid, Missouri, and James Prophet of Cincinnati, Ohio were co-winners for the prize as both submitted Buffaloes as their entry. However, a few days later, the newspaper declared Boulder resident A.J. Andy Dixon the winner after a follow-up investigation revealed his submission of buffaloes had actually arrived several days before those of the original winners. 
Through the years, synonyms which quickly came into use included bisons, buffs, golden avalanche, golden buffaloes, stampeding herd, and thundering herd. Live buffaloes made appearances at Colorado games on and off throughout the early years, usually in a pen on the field or sometimes driven around in a trailer. In the 1940s, the school kept a baby buffalo in a special pen at the University Riding Academy. The first buffalo was Mr. Chips, who appeared for the first time at the 1957 CU Days kickoff rally and was cared for by a men's honorary society. In 1966, the student body government decided that the University of Colorado Boulder needed a full-time live buffalo mascot. Freshman class officer Bill Lowry talked to his father who purchased and donated the original Ralphie to Colorado in March 1966. The student body government planned for it to be the job of the sophomore class officers to take Ralphie to all home football games. There are a couple of versions of the story on how Ralphie became the name of the beloved mascot. One story says the student body government held a Name the Buffalo contest and received many entries. One entry was for Ralph, in honor of the junior class president at the time. Another story says that Ralph was chosen as her name by the student body government in reference to the noise made when throwing up. What is known for sure is that the original spelling of her name was Ralph, that is R-R-A-A-L-P-H, but was changed to Ralphie at the end of the 1967 football season. Ralphie first appeared on the sidelines of a football game on October 1st, 1966, with Colorado beating Kansas State 10 to nothing. Around that same time, head football coach Eddie Crowder was approached with the idea of the Buffalo charging out on the field before the game, the team closely following. After much discussion, the debut of this great tradition took place on September 16, 1967, where Colorado beat Baylor 27 to seven. Ever since then, Ralphie has been leading the way as the football team takes the field. After the 1967 football season, the student body government realized it's not smart to have it be the tradition for the sophomore class officers to run with Ralphie, and instead it would be better to have trained individuals with large animal experience take the tradition over. The Ralphie Live Mascot Program has since evolved, becoming a prestigious athletic endeavor for 15 student athletes and Buffalo enthusiasts. It is currently under the direction of Program Manager and Coach Taylor Stratton and Assistant Program Manager and Coach Colton Bear. Both were handlers when they were students at Colorado. Are there any mascots that you'd like us to feature on the show? Hit us up at Chatting Yardage on Twitter and let us know. Once again, this has been Alex Butler with your Mascot Minute. Pick six. All right, guys, before we wrap up the show, as always, we've got to give you our pick six for the week. These are six games that we find interesting and think you should too. First, we've got number nine Alabama visiting Ole Miss. Will Lane Kiffin be able to hand Nick Saban the first three-game losing streak of his Alabama career? We'll find out at 3.30 p.m. on CBS. Up next is number 22, UCF, at number 16, Tulane. Can Tulane keep this magical run of theirs going? Check it out at 3.30 p.m. on ESPN2. And we've got number 25, Washington, at number 6, Oregon. Can Oregon hold serve and get some help to move up in the college football playoff rankings? 7 p.m. on Fox, you can catch that one. 
We've got number four, TCU, visiting number 18, Texas. Can TCU prove that it is deserving of a spot in the playoff? That one's at 7.30 p.m. on ABC. And we've got number 15, North Carolina at Wake Forest. The Tar Heels can make things difficult on the committee if they win out. The offense is capable, but is their defense? 7.30 p.m. on ESPN2, you can see that one. And for our sixth game of the week, I'm going to do my own thing here. I'm going to make this the sicko game of the week. That's right. There is no reason this should be a good football game. Both of these teams have been absolute garbage. We've got Texas A&M at Auburn. Can Jimbo Fisher's reeling Aggies beat a vulnerable Auburn team led by interim coach Cadillac Williams? We will find out at 7.30 p.m. on the SEC Network. The Extra Point. For our Extra Point this week, I want to talk about University of North Carolina at Charlotte's head coach Will Healy, who was fired after a 1-7 start to the season. Not a surprising move by Charlotte. Uh, they, they haven't historically been a great football team, but they had moved in a direction where their expectations were certainly higher than a 1-7 start to the season. Now, why am I talking about this? Well, this story is actually deeply personal to me. Will Healy, the fired coach in question here, was the quarterback at my high school when I was in high school. So, Anytime I see his name pop up, it is of note to me, and I have been following along with his coaching career. Uh, he went on to uh, to play quarterback for uh, for Richmond when he played in college, uh, but after that, he became a coach at Austin P University. And during the 2017 season, CBSSports.com said that Will Healy is doing a miraculous job at Austin P. Healy's Austin P Governors finished the season eight and one with its only loss being to Jacksonville State. The 7-1 mark set the school record for Austin P and ties the most wins ever in a season. These accomplishments garnered Healy the OVC Coach of the Year Award, as well as the Eddie Robinson Award for the FCS National Coach of the Year. This ultimately landed him his job with, uh, with Charlotte, where he promptly took them to a 7-6 record in his first season in 2019, uh, took them to their very first bowl game as a program, in fact. Uh, they did lose 31-9 to Buffalo, uh, but still, first bowl game in, in program history is a uh, remarkable accomplishment. Unfortunately, since then, Healy's team went just 8-18, eight and 18, uh, leading up to the firing that we saw. But I am telling you this to say this. Look out for the name Will Healy. I have a feeling this is a guy that is going to make noise. I would not be surprised to see him uh, get to a bigger school and take a, a, a position coaching job. He could be a great quarterback's coach. I know that's the position he played all through high school and college and has the most familiarity with. But Will Healy is going to be a name that you will hear in the next year or two coaching for a big team. All right, in honor of Liberty's big win over the Arkansas Razorbacks this week, we're going to play you out with the Liberty Marching Band playing the school's fight song. Till next week, I'm Alex Butler.
This has been the Chatting Yardage Podcast, brought to you by Sports Drink. Want to be part of the conversation? Follow the show on Twitter at Chatting Yardage. We'll see you next week for another brand new episode.